Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 337 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I will be the captain of the ship today. My name is Jason Evans, steering us along on this journey as we, uh, you know, long promised. Here is our episode. We're going to be talking about the Duke football team. Maybe we should rename ourselves the Duke football podcast for the day. Um, Joining me uh, on this journey, my co-captains, Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Donald, you've been traveling for the past couple of days. Where are you at now? Uh, I'm finally back here in D.C. I was supposed to be back yesterday, but due to a slew of maintenance issues, I had to spend the night in Charlotte. Uh, but shout out to my friends for taking me in uh, last minute and, and making sure I was entertained before my early, early, early wake up call this morning. But I'm here and excited to talk about some football. There we go. And Sam Klein. Sam, what's new in your neighborhood? Uh, this morning, I am uh, drinking an iced tea that I bought at the bakery downstairs in my apartment building. It is, I know that I'm not in the South because it is a decidedly sour flavored iced tea. It is not excessively sweet. So I must be, I must be in the North. And before we get started, I, I do want to uh, wish, uh, I guess, best wishes to uh, folks who are down in the Gulf area who are uh, under uh, multiple, it seems like multiple hurricane watches. Uh so I uh, hope everybody there is uh, safe and, and evacuating as um, as is is being recommended. So so as you guys know, my son goes to Tulane. He for law school. Uh, he had been in classes for one week when we called him on Friday and said, "Hey, it looks like a really bad storm is headed your way. Why don't you come home?" And he he was hemming and hawing, and he's like, ah, "I don't know. Most people here are saying they're gonna saying they're gonna stick around." I was like, "Okay, I'm buying you a ticket, and if you decide to stick around, we'll cancel it." <laughs> A couple hours later, he was like, everybody's leaving and all the planes are sold out. Did you get that ticket? I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> so my son's yeah. been with us this weekend. And I'll tell you how bad it looks for, for folks down there. Uh, we, we, have, we bought him tickets home. Uh, we bought one for Monday and for Tuesday. I'm now about to buy one for Wednesday. I think it may take that long for him to even be able to fly back to Tulane. Um, but yes, Sam, I agree with you. Wishing, wishing the best for, for folks down there, the folks who do not have the means, do not have the ability to get out of the way. Please, please, I hope they are hunkered down because it is it is going to be a nasty one, I fear. But let's put that aside. <laughs> let's get on to the topic we're here to talk about, which is Duke football. The uh, Blue Devils will begin their season in less than one week's time. And so this is the perfect time for us to bring in the biggest expert we could find to talk about Duke football. That is none other than Jim Sumner. Folks, if you pay any attention to the DBR, then you should know who Jim Sumner is. Jim is a, uh, a writer for the Duke Basketball Report. He's also written for Go Duke the Magazine. He's written for the Durham Herald Sun, the Associated Press. You name it. If it is a publication that talks about sports in the state of North Carolina, Jim Sumner has probably written for it. He's written numerous books about Duke, Duke basketball. Please check out his books. The man is a historian. He is also a current expert on Duke football and all Duke sports. Jim, thanks for joining us here on the DBR podcast. Uh, thanks, Jason. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So uh, so we're going to get started. Donald and Sam are going to do most of the question asking. I'm going to go to Donald first for, I think, the biggest question everyone has about this team, the quarterback. Donald, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and while we're talking about the quarterback, it sounds like Gunnar Holmberg will be the starter under center when the season begins this Friday. The first question is, should Duke fans feel confident that Gunnar can get the job done at that position and move the offense? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you both say the quarterback, not the quarterbacks. Yeah, I think it's definitely his his job to lose. Uh, and of course, he won't actually be 
actually being under center very often, but yeah, I get your point. Um, he, it, it's hard to say he's, it, he, he, this is his fourth year at Duke. He's smart. He's articulate. He's charismatic. The team seems to love playing for him. Duke's really put him on a crash course. He, he's, uh, he's working hard in the film room, the meeting room, the weight room. He's got a strong arm. He's fast, and he's never played a single meaningful down of football at Duke, and it's his, his fourth year there. So it, it's going to be uh, – yeah, he's going to – Duke opens with four road games, four non-conference games, first one on the road and three and all. The first two are games that Duke should be able to win comfortably. I think the question for Holmberg and for a lot of the other position groups on the team is can they – win those games while at the same time getting the experience they need that they're going to need to be able to play with Northwestern and Kansas and then, and then the ACC schedule. He's got the tools, but he doesn't have any experience. And he's got a, he's, it's the old, old saying about throwing in the deep end of the pool and see if he can swim. Yeah. And Jim, you mentioned this kind of at the top when you were talking about quarterback versus quarterbacks. A lot of Duke fans are used to over the past few years having multiple quarterbacks involved in the flow of the offense, whether it be, you know, going shifting from one to another or just throughout the game, having multiple quarterbacks on the field. Does that present some more continuity to this offense that there is, as of right now, the proverbial starter and Gunner seems to be the guy and there's no one really, you know, itching at his heels to kind of take time away from him? Well, it's hard to say. Like I said, the proof will being the pudding, but but he's as far as I know, he's taking every snap with the first team. He's running with the first team. He's practicing with the first team. He he like this is not unusual for a power five quarterback, but he initiated offseason workouts where he'd get the, the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs in and he'd throw with them. He'd work with the centers to have them snap the ball. I mean, he's never you, you think snapping the ball, how hard can that be? But Centers and quarterbacks have to have, have to be in sync, have to be in rhythm. He's never worked with these guys, um, so he's you know, he's just putting in he's putting in a lot of work. But the, the last thing David Cutcliffe needs this year is a quarterback controversy. So he has made it clear going back to last spring, Gunnar Holmberg is our starting quarterback. So there's no as far as I mean, there's a the, the clear number two is a Richard freshman named Luca. Dean Watt, a West Coast kid who's got some potential, very quick. He played the last quarter against Florida State last year. That's it. After that, there are a bunch of walk-ons and two recruited true freshmen. Who've, so it's it's an extraordinarily inexperienced, inexperienced group. You have to go back to even when Daniel Jones took over for Thomas Sirk when Sirk uh, suffered an Achilles injury, and Jones took over as a retro freshman. Duke had an experienced quarterback in the program, a kid named Parker Bain, who had played a, a lot of people thought he would inherit the starting job. So even when, even with Daniel Jones starting as a true freshman, there was some experience in the room, as they call it, and there's virtually none this year. Well, so that's concerning, but... <laughs> uh, but so let's move on to something that maybe is not concerning. Arguably... The most talented offensive player, certainly skill position player for the Blue Devils, is, is at running back. Talk to me a little bit about Mateo Durant and what you expect from the Duke running backs this year. Mateo Durant is you know, it's your classic 
good news, bad news, Jake, running back. He's, a, he's an exceptional running back. He averaged, he averaged almost seven yards per carry last year, which is, it, it, I think it's the third or fourth best single yards per carry average in Duke football history. He's, he's gotten stronger. Hopefully, knock on wood, fingers crossed, he's gotten a little bit stronger without losing that burst. But he's, he's the complete package. He can run through an arm tackle at the line of scrimmage. He can get some separation at the second level, and then he can run off and leave people in the secondary. He's worked hard on improving his receiving skills. I think he has something like 12 or 13 catches last year. Duke needs to get him the ball in space, and the best way to do that is – to throw the ball. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him catch 30, 35, 40 passes this year. But again, there's no experience behind him. Deion Jackson could have come back for next year. He elected not to. There's a kid named Hubbard who his career is over because of Achilles injuries. There's a kid named Jalen Coleman who's recovering from Achilles surgery. He's looked good, and he seems like he's the guy who's maybe – moved into the number two spot. But again, it's a player with virtually no experience. He was a track superstar in high school. He can really run, but, you know, can he take the football with him? Can he make the right reads? Can he break tackles against power five teams? That remains to be seen. There's another running back, Jordan Waters, who's a converted defensive back. So another position at the top, you've got a potential superstar. He's the only Duke player to be named preseason first team All ACC. I say first team All ACC. The preseason All Conference team was only only went one team deep. So if they'd gone two or three, I'm sure there were another Duke players. But he's 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 certainly the, the focal point of the offense. And Duke has a new offensive play caller this year, Jeff Ferris. And I think the the biggest job Jeff Ferris has is to figure out how to get the ball to Mateo Duran in positions where he can. Two things, but saying that Cutcliffe has always liked to have a deep running back rotation. When Duke won the Coastal a few years back, they had literally four running backs who played a lot. I don't think he's going to find four, but I, I, I've talked to both both Coach Cutcliffe and Calvin McGee, the new running back coach, and they say, no, this is not going to be the year where one guy gets the rush for 1,400 yards. We're going to keep him fresh. We're going to keep him healthy. We're going to give these other guys a shot. So we'll see. There's a, a true freshman named Davis, Trent Davis, who had a really good second scrimmage, but the media didn't get to see the second scrimmage. So I don't know how those statistics stack up. Because sometimes you, you guys in will have a scrimmage, the third team running back against the third team in defense will look great. But so, Right, that's against the third team. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's against them. But Duke will play true freshman running backs. They always have. Mateo Durant plays a true freshman. So I think we, we can see Duke prioritizing getting the ball to Durant, but they are going to use at least one, maybe two, maybe three of the running backs. So there's some competition to be either two, either three. So, so my other question then um, relates to when Duke puts the ball in the air. Uh, Duke's, Duke's wide receivers have, look, historically Duke's had some great wide receivers. Um, you know, Jamison Crowder is arguably the, the best blue devil in the NFL right now, but almost certainly he is. Um, but, uh, the current crop of wide receivers doesn't have, they got a lot of experience, but they don't have a ton of catches under their belt. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, talk to me about that that core. At least it is an experienced group. It, it, it is an experienced group. I, I had an interesting conversation with Jeff Ferris when he was talking to the media three weeks ago. He said he wanted to play seven, eight wide receivers, obviously not at the same time, but he wants to keep settling fresh legs in there. Hopefully he gets a mismatch where he's got a fresh receiver against a tired defender. Um, Duke's two known commodities at receiver are Jake Bobo, who's a true senior, big guy, six for, for wide receiver, 6'5", 195. He can catch. He's got a wide catch radius. He can make catches in traffic and make the contested 50-50 catches, but he's not a burner. Then there's Jalen Calhoun, who's the quieter analog, only not as good, but he's a small speedster um, who, who's going to catch a lot of those short passes that so many Duke football fans throw their arms up and say, throw it downfield. But he's the guy who, who's catching the ball at the line of scrimmage trying to make the first guy miss. What they are looking for is a burner, somebody who can go downfield and catch that long 50, 60-yard pass. They've got some candidates, um, Daryl Harding, Jarrett Garner, Eli Pankow. They've all shown, all shown flashes, but they've had injuries. They've had drops. They've um, just inconsistency. And, of course, to throw the ball deep, you've got – your line's got to – got, first got to have the right play call. You got to, you, Your line's got to hold their blocks for longer. You've got to have the quarterback make the right read, throw an accurate pass to a receiver who's open, receiver has to catch the ball. A lot of things can go wrong in and around that. One thing that really could help the passing this year is a six foot, 315 pound sophomore guy named Graham Barton, who is the new left tackle. He moved over at center last year after first Jack Wallaball, the presumptive starting center, was hurt in fall camp. Kid named Will Taylor moves in, who've been hampered by injuries all year, has a pretty good six-game run that he gets hurt. Graham Barton goes in as a true freshman who's never played center at all, does pretty well. So he's at left tackle now. He's 6'6", 315, long arms, quick feet. No offense to Gabe Bradner and Christian Harris and Casey Holman. I'm not sure Duke's had a really good left tackle, offensive left tackle since Dakota Cofield. And these are the guys that, you know, the, the, we've all seen the movie, The Blind Side. Duke needs better protection for the quarterbacks from left tackle. Duke's offensive line last year was pretty good run blocking. Terry Durant had averaged 6.8 yards to carry. Deion Jackson averaged four and a half or something like that. But they weren't very good pass blockers. And you can say maybe some, some that's the play calling. Some of that was a quarterback who maybe didn't always make the right decisions didn't have the quick feet to extend the play, but you've got to give going back to Gunnar Holmberg, he's got to have time and having, if Graham Barton can solidify that left tackle spot, that's going to go a long way towards helping Gunnar Holmberg be the, be the best Gunnar Holmberg he can be. Jim on the defensive side of the ball, Duke was somewhat up and down last season. And then at the end of the year, um, it was exciting that we had, uh, three defensive players, Chris Rump, Michael Carter, and Victor Dimukeji all get drafted into the NFL. I think it's the first time we've had three defensive players drafted. Perhaps, I don't, I don't know if it's ever, if it's in a very long time, yeah. but uh, two sides of that coin. One, we're excited for those guys, and they, and they were all somewhat standout players in their own right. But who's going to backfill for them on a defense that already uh, struggled a little bit last year to keep points off the board? 
That, that might be the single biggest, certainly the biggest question mark of the football team is the defensive line. As you mentioned, we lost Chris Rumpf and Victor Demikaze. Derek Tangelo and Drew Jordan could have come back this year and been starters. They elected to transfer to other Power Five schools. Uh, the only defensive lineman in the rotation who's an upperclassman is Ben Fry, and he's back in. He's a Duke played here. To show you how desperate Duke was in the interior last year, he played as a 255-pound defensive tackle, and, which is way too much. He, he's a very good college wrestler, and every time you talk to him, oh, yeah, I'm using my wrestling skills for leverage and, and, and my understanding of angles and all that, but he just got steamrolled. And he's back at end now, which is where he belongs. But the, the rotation tackles are Dwayne Carter, who's a redshirt sophomore who played a fair amount last year, and then a bunch of guys who've never played. There's a transfer from Notre Dame, Jamie and Franklin. You think, oh, a transfer from Notre Dame. But he didn't play. He had four tackles in two years in Notre Dame. Uh, but at least all the tackles are in the 285 to 310 range. They hopefully won't be throwing any 310-pound or any, any 255-pound tackles out. They'll be throwing 310-pound tackles out. But Fry second over at defensive end. Uh, again, uh, all the other defensive ends are their sophomores, their redshirt sophomores, their redshirt freshmen. He's the only one with any experience at all. Like you said, they had all these really good defensive players last year, and they still lost nine games at the end of the year. They were giving up UNC, Miami, Florida State. They were just giving up boatloads of points. So how do you improve with people who aren't going to be drafted in the next – certainly not be drafted this year, if ever. And it's a real – it's going to be it, – it's a tough ask, I'll be honest with you. It's uh, – and, and and traditionally Duke has, has been very strong in in the defensive backs area. We've had as you know we, a number of guys who have come through the program who've gone on to, to NFL careers who are defensive backs. Anybody in in the safeties or cornerback rotation that you think is going to step up and be a you know the next great defensive back for Duke that we haven't seen emerge yet? I'm not sure Duke is looking for great. I think you're familiar with, with WAR and baseball wins above replacement. I think Duke would like replacement level defensive backs. They've got a couple of guys coming off of injuries. Josh Blackwell is a cornerback who missed most of last year with it. And the injury, he's probably the one defensive back who has next level potential is he's quick. He can cover, he can, he can tackle. And he seems to be completely healthy. hundred percent. He's working off the rust as is always the case when he misses that much time. There's a, a, a veteran named Leonard Johnson who's played both corner and safety. Uh, he's back at corner, which is probably his best position. They've got a it, – it's a little bit like the wide receiver group. They've got a lot of experience. The one – the Dukes had two scrimmages. The media were allowed to watch the first. And that first scrimmage, the secondary, shut down Dukes' receiving core. And as is always the case with an intra-squad scrimmage, is that the good news is the secondary played really well. The bad news is the receivers didn't play well. So you don't know quite what to take of that. We weren't allowed to watch the second scrimmage, but supposedly the receivers did a much better job. They they, they took some shots downfield and they connected. But uh, yeah, it, that's the thing is that no matter. I mean, Deion Sanders couldn't cover ACC. Receivers without a pass rush. Uh, 
DN standard as pig. I'm not drinking that. But the point is, you need to have some pass pressure. And that's going to be, even with Rumpf and Demikaze rushing the passer, Duke struggled. I don't see how Duke is going to get that kind of pass rush with four down alignment. They're going to have to be very creative with blitzes. They're going to have to blitz cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers from odd angles from, from in on first, second, third downs. They're going to have to be very creative with the blitz package. Otherwise, ACC quarterbacks are just going to pick them apart. You've reminded me that uh, one of our least or one of my least favorite times of the year as a as a DBR podcaster is like right around when they have the blue white scrimmage at, in, mm-hmm. at countdown to craziness. And we come away saying, well, I don't know if if the results that we see here are good or bad, but they certainly yeah. happen. So yeah. uh, we have to yeah. we have to wait until the until the games actually start for that. I did want to transition, Jim, to talking a bit about the coaching staff, not a mm-hmm. ton of turnover at the top of the coaching staff this year. But one of the uh, points of interest, I think, last year was how Coach Cutcliffe was going to handle the offensive play calling. We sort of mm-hmm. saw how how the results played out on the field. They still have the same heads of the of the offensive staff. Raekwon Boyette and, and Jeff Ferris are are co-offensive coordinators. What mm-hmm. does the play calling setup look like this year for Duke? And, and what changes is Coach Cutcliffe making to try to uh, improve the offensive results? Well, he... Coach Cutcliffe has admitted very candidly several times that absorbing the offensive play calling responsibilities last year was a mistake. To try to be head coach, offensive coordinator, play calling while managing a global pandemic uh, is a pretty big ask for anyone, especially a pretty full time for somebody in their mid 60s. You mentioned that there are dual, Duke's had. Two defense coordinators for several years now, Ben Albert, Matt Greary. This is the first year they're going to dual offensive co-coordinators, um, Jeff Ferris and Rakan Boyette. But Ferris will be the guy up in the tower making the calls. I asked him a few weeks ago, is there a Jeff Ferris coaching philosophy? I want to be aggressive. I want to take shots downfield. I want to have fun. I want to be aggressive. Taking shots downfield for Duke football fans is the equivalent of Mike Krzyzewski saying, we're going to have a deep bench this year. Yep, going to use nine, going to use ten. It's like Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown. Duke always, every fall they talk about, yeah, we're going to get explosive. We're going to take take shots downfield. It never seems to work out that well. Um, But he he says he's going to. By the same token, I asked Rukon Boyette the same question. Rukon Boyette was a running back at Duke who – had been the running back coach, and now he's the receiver coach, which is a kind of strange transition. But asking about that, first thing we're going to do is we're going to establish the run. We can run the damn ball. We're going to run the ball. And then we're going to throw the ball over the top. So, you know, um, that's going to be interesting. And then there's Are a, you telling me, Jim, hang on. Are you saying that the coaches are engaging in coach speak in front of you? I, I, am, I am saying that they maybe are going to revert to form. They're going to regress to the mean. I, as much as I, yeah, if you've been a Duke fan for a while, you remember Steve Spurrier's comment was, I always want to take shot, a deep shot downfield early. Even if it's incomplete, it gives the defense something to think about. And lots of Duke football fans for generations have held that up as their mantra throw it deep, throw it deep. By the same token, and I've had conversations with uh, some of Jeff Ferris's predecessors as 
play callers and say, you know, you, you throw it deep and it seems to play, and all of a sudden it's second and ten. You're behind the chains. The, the defensive line can tee off. You put it back half of your playbook goes goes bye-bye. Next thing you know, you're punting the ball and your defense is back on the field. So it, it's a, you know, I think Duke talks about explosives. I think they want to generate explosives when more conservative plays, trying to get Mateo Durant up the middle, trying to hope they can get a short pass to, to Calhoun or Pancall and have slip that first first tackle and get into the secondary. Duke hates second ten. I mean, every coach hates second ten. So I don't know. I, I remain to be. I you know I, I'm a skeptic on the on, on the taking deep shot early in the game, early in the possession kind of thought. I'd love to see more of it, but I'm just not sure we're going to see it. And then on the defensive side, you alluded that Matt Guerrero is the sole defensive coordinator this year. Mm-hmm. It feels no, like he's... No, no he, and, he, he and Ben Albert are still the co-coordinator. He and Ben Albert are, are, are still co-defensive coordinators, but it, yeah. but it, it seems to me, and, and, and yeah. obviously not as close to the program as you are, but it feels to mm-hmm. me like... Macarari is is one of the rising stars on the coaching staff here. Is he? It, it, it does it feel like he's sticking around in Durham to to continue being a a high level recruiter, or is he pursuing a, a head coaching opportunity? And do you see um, do you see him kind of long term in Durham? I, it's, it's hard to say. I, yeah, I, I agree with your premise that Burry has long been viewed. If you look at the whole staff, one guy who's the the future head coach in waiting somewhere. How many guys get hired as a head coach coming off of a two and nine season? The, the the thing to keep in mind is that David Cutcliffe only has two more years on his contract, and I've not heard that he's asked for an extension. It's hard to believe you get an extension, get an extension to coach in his late sixties unless they start winning some games. And so, it, I, you know, this is all speculation. I, just, you know, I don't. I mean, Gary's long been considered a very Bright up and up and coming. The question, you know, coming off of a couple of losing seasons, why don't you hire a couple of hotshot young guys from the MAC or something? Duke's response is, well, we've got a couple of hotshot young guys in Jeff Ferris and Matt Gurry. We're going to stick with them. I guess then the the natural follow up to that is, what is Coach Cutcliffe's plan? Do you do you feel like it's it's just these next two seasons? Then he's likely to retire, or are there conversations going on between him and Nina King about? about some kind of succession plan? What What's the current state of that? I have no idea. It's not like it's not like Nina and I get together and have lunch. Uh, I think he's just trying to get he, the One of the vibes that you gave the program is that Cut is very energized. He's, he's, he, I don't know if he's, he wants to – he doesn't want to go out, you know, with, with this kind of this kind of season. I mean, he, he proved that you can win at Duke football. He doesn't want to – tarnish that legacy but uh, you know he, he he's got he's got a, a new a tower this year like a 10-foot tower to move around and he's stand and the, the, the players are saying things like you know when you make a mistake now he'll really light you up so I think he's 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 trying to show show more energy and and uh, you know be a, a, be a little more hands-on than maybe he's been the last few years Maybe he's got one more sort of rebuild in him. He, he I, I like to look back on his tenure as being there was one build and and then there was a you know sustained few years of, of success for Duke. And now it feels like we're in the, the rebuild era. I, I, I did want to 
transition and and talk a little bit about the schedule. But I know Donald had questions on that. So Donald, why don't we talk about the schedule? I think the first question with the schedule is just the philosophy. We've talked a lot on our podcast, and I'm sure you've had questions as well about just the state of the ACC and and with all the realignment and alliance talk and and all of this stuff. So when it comes to the actual schedule, we know that the football schedule is kind of set years in advance and the philosophy seems to have been lower tier power five programs mixed in with some lower division uh, teams, but Northwestern Baylor have proven to be a lot better. What do you think is the mentality going forward? Not necessarily just this year, but going forward with the the games that uh, are yet to be scheduled by Duke. Yeah. Well, uh, who knows what this new uh, alignment with the big 10 and, and actually that's going to, is Duke going to be going to Pullman, Washington anytime soon? Uh, and and if, if they do, can they find their way back? Um, the schedule, the philosophy has been to try to schedule three likely wins out of the four non-conference, and then you can have a, a an Alabama or a Stanford or a Northwestern. Obviously, playing Northwestern to me is a no-brainer. Uh, you know, uh, a comparable academic school in a Power Five conference, and Duke has been successful against Northwestern in recent years. Um, but yeah, I think that they that that was one of the things that hurt Duke last year. They were scheduled to start with the you know, games that were canceled because of of COVID. They were expecting maybe three sure wins out of the box, and all of a sudden they're opening with Notre Dame, and then and then going into the into the heart of the, of the ACC schedule. But, you know, like you said, scheduling is not done. You know, we, we have an open day next week. It'll be play. It's done years and years in, in, in advance. But I think you know, this is schedule is set up for Duke. If, if, if Duke doesn't win at least three of the four non-conference games, it's going to be a long season. I'm not convinced they can't compete with Northwestern because that game is in Durham, Northwestern. Uh, they're starting a new quarterback and they're having to, if they did lose a ton of talent, but at the very least, Duke has to beat uh, Charlotte A&T and Kansas and going to ACC play at three and one because that's kind of that. There's an expression: schedule your way to six. And if you win three non-conference, you can get to six wins with a three and five conference season, which would, might be difficult this year. It's hard to look at the ACC schedule and see a single game where Duke would be favored, maybe. Georgia Tech at home, no offense, Jason, uh, you're Atlanta. I say maybe qualify that, but even getting to, you know, I think six wins would be this team's ceiling. If you ask me for an over-under, I'd say probably four, four, four wins. And and how is Duke thinking about for this season, the that first uh, segment of the schedule before the bye in late October? Because they have a number of tough games. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, Northwestern in, in the – in the non-conference, but then UNC and Virginia are right, right behind them in, in the conference schedule. So how is Duke thinking about that first segment of games that leads them to, to the bye? I think they're just trying to play one game at a time. And, and win. I mean, you mentioned North Carolina. That's the beginning. I mean, you know, as somebody who's lived his entire life in the state of North Carolina, the idea of Duke and Carolina playing a football game at the beginning of October is just, yeah, since, but uh, yeah, that's going to be a tough, I mean, that's going to be, that could be brutal. I think if you just try to get back without too many people hurt. <laughs> but uh, 
like I said, that it, it's they they've got to make that four game non conference. They they have to win the games while getting a lot of experience for a lot of young players. They're very young. At uh, we mentioned defensive line, very young at linebacker. They only have one experienced tight end. Uh, only have one experience running back, no experience quarterback. They they they've got to try to do you know juggle the ball and do two things. They got to win those games, but they've got to get a lot of experience for a lot of young players. Well, Jim, there's a I don't know if I'd say there's a lot of optimism, but there's a lot of young players that we can uh, look forward to to hearing about in this coming season. Thank you so much for giving us that preview of the team. Um, and and uh, we certainly hope that you, you said, you know, like four to six wins. We hope it's more like six versus four. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks much, my friend. And folks, again, you can read um, Jim Sumner has done extensive previews of the Duke football team on the Duke basketball report online. Please check those out. Um, and again, Jim, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jason. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. All right, so we're back from the break. Again, we want to thank Jim Sumner for giving us that preview of the Duke, uh, the Duke football team here on the, the Duke football report. Um, Donald and Sam, you know, give me your takeaways from, from what Jim had to say. Uh, Donald, I'll come to you first. Uh, was it did what Jim say jive with what you think about the Duke football team this year? Yeah, I, I think the issue that we're going to see this year and the biggest question is we have a lot, lack of experience in a lot of key positions. Uh, notably, I mean, quarterback, we, you know, Gunnar Holmberg has played, but he hasn't played as much as other quarterbacks have entering the season for Duke in previous years. So we, we have a lack of, you know, lack of experience there. We have a lack of experience in defense. We've lost a lot of key guys. And while the mentality is always going to be next man up, the question is, who are those men that are going to step up? And, and especially uh, as Sam mentioned with his question, First half of the schedule is very, very tough once you get past the non-conference portion. Uh, getting into the conference schedule with North Carolina, Virginia in October with no break is going to be a, a big, a, a tall hill for them to climb. So I think when it comes to this team, I'm looking to see them get better every single week. Take care of the football, which was a huge, huge issue we talked about last year. They turned the ball over more than any team in Division One, I, I believe. But I think those sort of things come with more experience and getting more time under center, getting more time, getting those snaps that they haven't had yet, whether it be due to COVID last year or just because they have not seen the field until we see them come on the field on Friday night. So I, I think that's the real key here. I, I, I'm i not as optimistic about the team. I think I see four wins that are, I would say, quote unquote, sure wins. And I say that in air quotes because none of us are really sure. But I think there are teams that, depending if we come in with the right mentality, we can beat them. It's just a matter of whether we put everything together and have a great game on those days, which we won't know until those guys step on the field. As we've seen over the last few years, Duke has been very inconsistent when it comes to their performance. I think the thing I'm most concerned about is the defense. And that, that's what I wanted most to ask Jim about. And, and he's got similar concerns, which is that Duke last year had some talent on the defensive side of the ball. We know because they had all these guys get drafted 
and, and they appear to be on their way to meaningful NFL careers. And yet Duke was still not able to contain a lot of offenses uh, on the defensive side. And, and now they're getting younger and less experienced. So that's the, that's the area where, where I'm most concerned and where I'm worried that if the season's going to, going to go off the rails again, the way that it did last year, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. I think that on offense, there's a, you know, there's a certain amount of trust that I have that coach Cutcliffe is able to look at what happened, fix it. And, and if not, you know, make the, make the offense great, at least make it passable. But, but I'm worried about the defense and, and worried about what kind of production we're going to get there. So we'll see. I, I, I am excited about Macarary. I feel like the, the Duke staff has been really, um, has been really big on, on his development as a coach. And perhaps this is a year that, that he and the team are going to turn a corner on that front. And on that, I think the one thing that we're going to be looking for this year, and I think a lot of Duke fans will, is the play calling. Because I feel like in the past few years, the the fan base has kind of looked at uh, the offensive play calling and the defensive play calling as kind of stagnant and to the point where it felt like teams knew what was coming as it was as they were breaking the huddle. And that made for a lot of you know three and outs, but also prolonging the defense to be on the field, making them more tired. And as Sam alluded to, they would, you know, make sure that if the defense is on the field the entire time, they're going to get tired and they're going to give up points. So keeping the defense off the field is the key. The key to doing that is seeing if there is an evolution when it comes to the play calling, particularly on offense, to make it so that they keep moving the chains, keep getting first downs, moving the ball down the field, and of course, giving the defense that break that they desperately need, especially when we have a lot of guys who don't have that game experience. Look, look, the thing to me is, most folks are projecting Duke to win three, four, five, maybe five games. Um, they've been picked last by the media um, in the Coastal Division. Um, you know, there are not a lot of expectations that this is going to be a good Duke team. So then I say to myself, okay, what will it take? How can we surprise teams? How can we be better than expected? And I think uh, a lot of it, you know, a lot of our struggles in recent years, especially last year, came down to turnovers. Um, and so you go, okay, you know, so how do we get that under control? Well, experience, you know, seems like experienced players would be the way to get turnovers under control. And then you look at the Duke team and you go, oh, but wait, they've got a brand new quarterback. They, you know, all these other positions, Jim kept on telling us, not experience, not lots of depth. It gives you a lot of pause. My only reason for optimism is this. We talk about the skill positions. Look, that's where turnovers come from on offense. At the skill positions, Duke has a really experienced running back in Mateo Durant. We've got really experienced wide receivers. So your big question then becomes the quarterback. The thing about Gunnar Holmberg that gives me a little bit of optimism, he may not have a ton of snaps in games. The guy's been in the Duke program for a long time. He's a graduate student. I want to point out to everybody, this guy graduated this past June from Duke. He came to Duke at the same time as Zion Williamson. Gunnar Holmberg was class of 2018. Here we are entering the 2021-2022 season. He's been at Duke for a long time. Now, he's had red shirts. He's had injuries. But this is a guy who's sat in film sessions and done, you know, taken part in spring, summer, and fall practices a number of seasons. And I think if you think there's a reason to think Duke may be able to get in the bowl conversation and get to those five, six, maybe even seven wins – the, the reason for optimism, the reason I think there's a shot at that is because I think Gunnar Holmberg may surprise some people because this is a guy who is pretty darn experienced, even though he doesn't have a lot of game experience, <laughs> if that makes any sense. We talk about all these other positions, but 
there's a reason why whenever you talk about football, you start with a quarterback position because the quarterback position is going to be something. They're the leaders. They're the ones that are going to help drive things down the field and be the engine behind uh, whatever offense, even if it's not a passing offense. So we really are right, right behind Gunnar Holmberg. And I think, like I said, I think the consistency could be there in the sense that Gunnar Holmberg is the guy. Whereas in the last few years, we have had multiple guys to, that we could rely on or that we were counting on to get a lot of experience. We're, we're putting all our trust in one guy. So with that will come more consistency. And I think that's going to be the key to limiting some of those turnovers. Yep. Okay. So guys, let's wrap it up with this. Um, let's give our predictions. How many games do we think the Duke football team is going to win this year? Sam, I'll come to you first. You know, g- give me give me your number. There's no shame in optimism, gentlemen. And what the Duke football team needs today and this year is optimism. Duke is going to win six games in football this year. Do I know which ones they are? No. Am I confident in this pick? No. But will it happen? <laughs> yes. Duke is going to win six games. They're going back to a bowl game. And, uh, and I hope that Coach Cutcliffe, is uh, looking at this as an opportunity, as I said to Jim, to to rebuild, to restore his his legacy, and 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 to cement his legacy at, at Duke football, and then to you know ride off into the sunset on the back of a of, of another bowl win or two. I like it, Donald. What's your number? I have optimism as well, but slightly less optimism than Sam. I'm going with five wins, but I do think that for the you know one of the rare moments. Five and seven will get them into a bowl game on on the verge of APR, uh, the academic rating that they have. will get them into a bowl game because not enough teams will qualify with six wins. So I think Duke is going bowling. They're just going bowling at five and seven, but still have a chance to get to six and seven with that bowl game. All right. I'm also going with five wins. They're going to beat Charlotte. They're going to beat NCANT. They're going to beat Kansas. Beyond that, they'll find a way to win a couple others. So I'm also picking five wins for the Blue Devils. And uh, and yeah, I, if uh, if our academics allow us to make a bowl game with five wins, I am all for us taking advantage of that and getting uh, getting into a bowl, getting back to a bowl. That'd be a big thing for the for the Duke football program. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up for us here on this episode of the Duke Football Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. I want to again thank Jim Sumner for joining us and giving us his expertise in the football team. First football game coming up this week, folks. Hope you're looking forward to it. We certainly are. Um, For Donald and Sam, again, I'm Jason. We ask you, please reach out to us. Email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Give us those reviews, like, subscribe, all that stuff. We tell you about it all the time. Why don't you do it more often, people? We need to hear from you. We need those likes and reviews. Do it. We'll respond to you. We will have fun. Duke football, go Blue Devils. We'll be back very, very soon. DBR podcast, episode number 337 in the books. Duke band, take us home. Duke gang.